Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, I want to invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, and as you're turning in here and in your Bibles or on your devices, I'm going to ask those who are worshiping the rest of our church family in the in the Family Life Center, if you would also turn with us. And if you're watching from home, if you're streaming today, we welcome you into this ongoing study, and I invite you to turn with, with us as well as we continue our study. Uh, by the way, as you're, as you're finding your way to Exodus 25, i got to say, you look great today. You look, I love seeing all of the, 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 the team colors, the team spirit all over campus uh, in this room and in the next room as well and uh, i got a story i got to tell you before we get serious i got before we we you know elevate this thing a little 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 higher i got to tell you i've got a story i i had a plan today i ordered this uh, this shirt online uh braves lena brave shirt because they're hot right now they're hot the braves are and so i ordered this this shirt long sleeve buttoned down it looked great y'all were gonna love it you were gonna love it and so it delivered yesterday. The package came where, where FedEx delivers, and I open up the package, and here's this, this awesome button-down gingham-style Atlanta Braves tomahawk. And I thought, that's kind of a good nonpartisan team, you know, to, for our congregation, right? And so I, I opened it up, and, and what they had sent me was a triple extra-large polo of the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> yeah. I was so mad. And so the only justice out of this is that presumably today, because they're playing the Falcons, there's some, there's some Carolina Panthers dude in a, in a tight button-down Braves <laughs> shirt pouting, pouting because he wanted his shirt as well. But I got to tell you, I'm happy to see some, uh, some orange in the place today as well. I even see orange popping out from under collars up here. Just be grateful that I didn't have Bob play Rocky Top for the call to worship. Okay, yeah, yeah. But it can still be the benediction, so behave. <laughs> Exodus chapter 25 is where we find ourselves today. And we are now in part 24, I think, of our ongoing series. Somebody asked me this morning, how many more of these we have? In the words of Moses, let my people go, you know, it's kind of. <laughs> Today, we move into the next and largest and last major section of the book of Exodus. This story has been a story about freedom, about being set free from enslavement and we watched how the first 15 chapters of the book of Exodus is all about being liberated from the enslavement to Pharaoh in Egypt and we imagined all the different varieties of ways in which we are enslaved to Pharaohs of many names and many varieties. 
Chapter 16, 17, and 18 then followed with what we call the wilderness journey because we imagined that we, like they, after you're set free from a thing, there's usually a period of time in which you, you kind of wander and you wonder as you wander, do I really want this freedom? Because if being free means this kind of new pattern to life, a new way of life, a new way to exist that's unfamiliar, I almost prefer the enslavement that I'm familiar with as opposed to the freedom that I have to learn all over again. Then chapter 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 is all about the establishment of a covenant where God says, okay, here's how this is going to roll. I'm going to be your God. And you're going to be my people and this is how this is going to look. And we spent some time talking about that. And now we turn the page and we're in the next major section. The next major division in the book of Exodus is about the construction of the tabernacle. And we read one verse. Verse 8. And... The Lord said to Moses, have them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. Have them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. And for the next 13 chapters, every chapter crammed with detail after detail about how to construct the tabernacle, a place where God would dwell among them. There are different words that are used here in the Hebrew. One of the words for the sanctuary that we're talking about is this. Mishkan, which means tabernacle. There's another one used later in Exodus. Ohel Moed. Ohel Moed means the tent of meeting. In many different places throughout the rest of the construction of the tabernacle is referred to by many different names, such as the tabernacle of testimony, the tent of testimony, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and so on. But all of it has to do with creating a space in which God will abide with mortals. And it's one chapter after the next of detail after detail after detail. The first several chapters, 25 through 30, describe God giving explicit and meticulous instruction. But then chapters 35 through 40 is almost a verbatim repeat of the thing that God said to Moses to do, but now it's God watching Moses do it. And so in one portion, God says, do this stuff. In the second portion, it's Moses doing this stuff to create the tabernacle almost word for word. Chapter after chapter in meticulous detail. And I got to tell you, it's not the most exciting reading in all the Bible. In fact, if you start out to try to read the Bible all the way through from Genesis all the way through Revelation, this is typically where most people quit. This is where it kind of, because it kind of reads a little bit like, a, like an instruction manual for a do-it-yourself home office kit. Put this many things here and this many uh, links there and on and on. One scholar I read even said uh, that he refers to this as that place in the Bible where people read with what he calls an elastic consciousness. Isn't that a great phrase? You know, where you kind of let the, let the eyes move across the words, but you're just trying to get to, like, something cool, like 
judges or something. <laughs> detail after detail after, and yet, and yet, nothing in all of Exodus is as important as the construction of the tabernacle. Not a single story, not a single event or moment is near as important as the construction of the tabernacle because God has said, look, I have set you free and now I've got an idea. How about we hang out? How about we live and abide and be together? And if getting the detail of his home is, is going to make that happen, well, then they have to get it right. And so do we. And so do we. That's why this morning I want to talk about the tabernacle and I want to talk about the significance, maybe even the, the, the surprising significance of what the construction of the tabernacle means for your own spiritual journey and our own understanding of what it means to be with God. But to do it, I want to give us some movements, some, some place markers along the way. So today I want to talk about Taylor Swift, <laughs> Feng Shui, and mobile homes. <laughs> Taylor Swift, Feng Shui, and mobile homes. Let's pray together. God, we pray that in the midst of the serious and the silly, there might emerge something sacred. We pray now that you would bless the words that proceed from my mouth as we all attempt to interpret your sacred words so that in hearing we, we may never be the same. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Taylor Swift. Many of you, I'm sure, already know that Taylor Swift put out a new album last November. It hit the stores on November 10th after much hype. It's called Reputation. A great album. In fact, it was the best-selling album of the year. And not only the best-selling album of the year, but the best-selling album of the past two years. It's the only album that hit $2 uh, million uh, in sales. Or, no, I'm sorry, 2 million copies. 2 million copies in the previous two years. It was hot. But the thing that we assume may be the source of its success is a trend that's happening nowadays in the purchase of music. Now, she's talented and has great gifts, and it may be that her music is worth running to the store for all on its own, but that's not why people believe that this album was special. There's a trend lately. The students among us will tell us, maybe, maybe you can echo this and give us an amen in the Family Life Center if it's true. The truth is it's not really about the song I mean, you can download the song on iTunes, you know, one song at a time for a couple of bucks and be fine listening to the song. But now there is a kind of return to something retro, a return to vinyl, a return not only to the vinyl and the, and the music that comes from the grooves of the vinyl, but there's also a higher appreciation for the album cover. For the album cover, the cover in which the, the vinyl comes and, and the art that's placed on the front of the cover of the album is as important in some ways as the music inside it. In fact, her album cover made 
a bit of a splash because it's called reputation and there's a lot of hype leading up to it and it's great great imagery but she even has a little controversy around it so there's some some digs that she puts out there for Kanye West who had taken some digs at her all kinds of drama but the end of the day what's the point the end of the day is People flock to the stores not to download from their phones the music from her album, but rather to hold something in her hands to say there is, there's something about the package that's almost as important as the content. And I want to suggest today, when it comes to understanding the construction of the tabernacle, this same truth rises among us. Sometimes the package of a thing is as important as the thing. When it comes to the tabernacle, yes, it's important to figure out what goes in the tabernacle, what did they do in the tabernacle, what was it all about, and we're going to get there in a second. But I want you to not miss the package or the, the album cover in which all these instructions come. Because did you know that the instructions to build the tabernacle come in seven speeches made by God? And here they are, in fact... For those of you who are taking notes, you might want to jot down, that's the verse where each one of the seven, each one of the seven speeches begins, in case later you want to go and read it. But seven speeches in a row, but watch. The seventh speech is about Sabbath. And it presents, and you know that in Scripture there are all kinds of patterns. There are patterns that speak of 40. There's patterns that speak of threes. But there's also many, many patterns that speak of sevens. And sevens in the Bible are what we refer to as the heptatic pattern. The heptatic pattern, I want you to know, every time you see a pattern in the Bible that, that includes seven, especially seven that ends with a Sabbath, and especially in the Hebrew Bible, every time you see something happening in sevens, it is a direct, deliberate attempt on the part of the writer to make you remember something that happened in Genesis chapter 1, the creation of the universe. Where there in six acts of imagination and designing and blueprinting and planning and creating and constructing, God establishes the world and then on the seventh day rests. So when we come to Exodus and we find ourselves in seven distinct speeches from God and the last one is about rest, it's a deliberate attempt to show us the album cover, the art in which the content comes. So pay attention to the album cover because the construction of these seven speeches, it's meant to make you and me go back here to Genesis and pay attention to what God was up to here. Because in the tabernacle, Everything that will happen in the tabernacle, all of the worshiping, all of the movements, all of the action, even the very, uh, the very furniture that's arranged and how it's arranged, all of that worship is intended to provoke and stoke a kind of heightened awareness in you and in me that when we worship, we are to remember what God was up to in creation seven speeches in a row ending with sabbath is meant to show us in the creation itself the creational design of god and what god intended for the existence of humankind in the world and can i give you just an example of how it parallels in fact if you pay attention to genesis we hear words like this in the creation story and god saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good 
In Exodus, we hear, and Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. In Genesis, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. In Exodus, thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. In Genesis, God finished his work, which he had done in Exodus. So Moses finished his work in Genesis. So God blessed the seventh day in Exodus. So Moses blessed them. The construction of the tabernacle parallels the construction of the world. And why? Because everything that we do in tabernacle, in worship, is an attempt to provoke in us a memory of the way God intended this world to exist. Don't forget where these people had come from. They're former slaves and they were in Egypt, which means that they were in chaos. Don't let the imagery be lost on you. When God created in Genesis, he created out of chaos, out of the watery chaos. God spoke and there emerged life and newness of life and being and beauty. These newly freed slaves were in chaos in Egypt. And God rescued them and spoke over them. And now there is emerging in them a newness of life, a newness of being and of beauty. And every time they worship, they are enacting, enacting the reality that God is up to something, trying to create the world all over again. This reveals a beautiful truth, my friends, that when we worship. We meet with God in order to join God in the ongoing creation of the world. I'm not talking about ancient Hebrews. I'm talking about you and me. Because we also come in from a world of chaos. Every week there is chaos in your family, in work, in the nation, in the world, there's chaos. And we bring with us into our own sense of tabernacle. We bring with us the possibility of envisioning the world as God designed it at creation. And when we envision, when we sing songs like that medley we just said, when we sing songs about, and when we read old texts, ancient manuscripts of wisdom and instruction, something happens in us. Somewhere in this hour, we lay down burdens. And somewhere in this hour, we, we have our wounds healed and, and our anger uh, relinquished. Somewhere in this hour, we receive and give forgiveness. Somewhere in this hour, our grief is assuaged just a little bit because when we worship we envision and we repair the creational design every single time so the importance of seven speeches in a row i cannot overstate it thank you taylor swift for reminding us that sometimes hmm, the package of a thing is as important to pay attention to as the thing. So we have these seven speeches and they come to us. Yes, pay attention to what's being said, but don't let it be lost. That worship here as well as there, now as well as then has always been 
about joining God with what God is up to in the world. Which leads us to the second movement of our sermon today. Feng Shui. Feng Shui. The idea is about 5,000 years old. This Feng Shui in Chinese simply means wind and water. Feng Shui, you know the idea. You understand Feng Shui, right? Feng Shui is deliberately arranging the, I don't know, the room, the house, the building, the construction of a thing, the furniture in a thing. It's arranging it in such a way as to allow the energy to flow through it. So it's not, it's not cluttered. You're not tripping over things. In fact, uh, my in-laws are in town, and my father-in-law was in my garage with me yesterday because we're trying to feng shui my, my workspace <laughs> because I don't know what I'm doing. And so when he comes down, I'm like, Terry, tell me, without telling me how stupid I am, tell me what I need to know. And he does both. He does both. He tells me what I need to know and makes me feel smart at the same time. But you know what we did? He said, you need a fan in here because it's hot. <laughs> okay, that's a great idea. You, you, need a, you need light, more light in here because it's dark, right? So we were feng shuiing up my space for a little bit because it matters how, how the energy flows through it. If you're going to do a thing, make sure the space allows for the thing to be accomplished. Are you with me? The tabernacle had a particular feng shui in its design. I want you to think about like three concentric uh, squares or, or rectangles or cubes, three spaces in the tabernacle. The outer space, the biggest space where everybody could come, it didn't matter if you were a priest or not, was called the, the outer court. And there was some furniture there. There are some things there that had to do with worship. Uh, there is the next concentric rectangle in, kind of a rectangle within the rectangle, is what's called the outer sanctum, or another way to put it is the, uh, the holy place. And there's like three pieces of furniture in there, and, the, and it does a thing. And then on the inside of that holy place, there's like a perfect cube, the, the dimensions of it, and that's what we call the holy of holies. It's the inner sanctum, and there's one piece of furniture in there. So once you get that in your mind, and if you uh, will allow me let, me, let me walk you through to give you a bit of a visualization of the feng shui of the tabernacle and take a look at this rendering there you see the outer perimeter with tall uh, drapes or curtains not made with precious things uh, but high enough to not scale and tight enough at the bottom to not go under and in the front the curtain of entrance there the gate of entry is heavily embroidered by hand with scarlet and with purple and blue Inside the outer court, as you're watching there, the first piece of furniture you come to is the altar of sacrifice. This is where the priest, the priest would bring the, the animal, the lambs or the goats, and place his hand upon their head and, and transmit the sins of the people and his own sins in confession before offering up the animal to be burned on that altar as a kind of demonstration of their repentance and their sorrow over their own sin. Before the ritual is finished, he would spread the blood upon the parts of the altar as a reminder to all the people who were seeing that it requires this level of sacrifice to be forgiven. The next layer of uh, feng shui in the outer court is the laver, a place where the priest would wash his hands and his feet to prepare to cleanse himself physically and spiritually before entering into the outer, 
the outer sanctum. And as you move into the outer sanctum, a, a large curtain of multiple layers of fabric would be divided and you would find yourself in the holy place or the outer sanctum where there are three pieces of furniture. The first is the menorah, the golden candlestick, beautiful, made by the finest gold, hammered out of a single piece of gold. It's the only light in all the outer sanctum. It's seven stems of light, reminding us of the call of Moses in the burning bush and also reminding us of that tree in the Garden of Good and Evil, in the Garden of Eden. Across from the menorah is the table of showbread where there are two columns of six loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Jerusalem or of Israel. And the priests would serve every day this, this table which is made of acacia wood and covered in gold. The other and last piece of furniture in the outer sanctum is the altar of incense which burned day and night continuously making a fragrance of, of pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest would take the incense with him, the high priest, every time he went into the inner sanctum, which is where we're going now. A heavily uh, draped and embroidered, uh, embroidered with cherubim curtain is divided, and the only piece of furniture on the inside of the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. Made of the finest gold inside and out, on the inside of the Ark of the Covenant are remnants of manna, serving of manna, um, remnants of the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's blooming rod. On the top of the Ark of the Covenant, still inlaid with gold, inside and out, the finest gold, two cherubim with their wings facing one another. The place where they touch, right in the center, is the mercy seat, said to be the very presence of God on earth. Now, that's admittedly a very quick, very swift uh, rendering of the tabernacle but what I want you to pay attention to in regard to feng shui is that the construction of the tabernacle was made deliberately with the materials that would advance in quality the closer you get to the inner sanctum it's a phrase that I'm going to use today gradations of holiness there were gradations of holiness. In other words, on the outside, the stuff that's made, the furniture that's used, is not as precious as the stuff on the inside. So the curtains may have been high and white and, and, and uh, did its job, but it wasn't made with pure things, and it wasn't held up by gold, but, but by acacia wood and, and capped with bronze, for example. And as you move in, the furniture gets more and more precious. On the outer sanctum, uh, the metals move from being bronze to uh, bronze and silver, and then silver and gold. And then on the inside of the Holy of Holies, there is one kind of gold that's used, and an adjective that's used to describe the quality of that gold on the Ark of the Covenant is only used one time in the entire Hebrew Bible. It is the precious, the most precious of precious metals, the most fine of fine gold. And the point I'm trying to make is don't let it be lost on us that as they move toward that beautiful place, the promise is that there is the possibility of drawing near something beautiful in this world. That the very presence of the holy God of the universe is near and you can, you can approach it, you can come in. But it takes a certain work and sacrifice to get there. That's why you and I interpret everything through the lens of Jesus. Jesus is our interpretive lens to understand everything, especially in the Old Testament. So that little walkthrough that I just gave with you, 
I want you to mentally walk through it with me now as Jesus is our interpretive lens. Watch, you saw the high walls of white curtain. Well, they were so high they couldn't get over them. They were so tight at the bottom you couldn't get under it, which the message is you can't get in, stay out. But there was one opening, the front, and it was narrow. It was a gate, and Jesus is the gate, and the only gate that allows us to to penetrate the barrier between us and, and holy divinity. So we enter through that gate, and the first piece of furniture is the altar of sacrifice. And Jesus, we say, is the lamb who was slain from the foundations of the world, who took upon himself all of the sin of humankind once for all time. We move to the the laver that that the priest used to wash, and we believe that it is Christ who washed the feet of his disciples. It is Christ who is able to make us clean. It's as if Jesus says, if you want to be made clean, you can be made clean. Wash. Come to me, and I will cleanse you, and I will give you drink. And then we move into that outer sanctum where the three pieces of furniture are, and that menorah, the, the, the only light in that whole room, we believe that Christ is the light of the world that illumines every kind of darkness, no matter how dark. It's the kind of light that the darkness literally could not overcome. We look at this table of showbread and we realize that he is the bread of life and any of us who hunger, any of us who are longing and are famished for something that is, that is more than any of this world can offer, we understand we can eat of him, we can consume the teachings of Christ, the way of life that he offers. We can pick up our cross and eat deeply of that bread of, Christ, of, bread of, bread of life. He is the incense. Christ is the one who is the lily of the valley, right? The one who is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And as we move into that inner sanctum, we know that on the crucifixion, the day of crucifixion, that that grand veil that is embroidered uh, thick with art, with seraphim and cherubim, uh, was rent, was ripped from top to bottom with God making a cosmic statement that the lie of separation is no more that you can have access to the mercy seat we call jesus the mercy seat now what does what does all that mean it means that you and i can access communion with god but through jesus christ who has made the way possible that means that you and i can find our way into the holy of holies because it's been prepared by the one who is become our gate, our sacrifice, our cleansing, our light, our bread, our incense, our mercy. Somebody say amen. Amen. Yes. So there is a particular feng shui about the tabernacle. That's why Jesus said, um, I am the feng shui, the truth, and the life. Yeah, come on. Which leads us, which leads us to the last movement of the sermon. Mobile homes. Now, you may not know that I was, uh, my first year of life, I lived in a mobile home. My family lived in a mobile home, and I got to tell you, mobile homes have changed since my first year of life. In fact, now the trend uh, for mobile homes is what's called pod homes. There are still mobile homes, but it's not necessarily for those who are, 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 are under-resourced. It's for those who have too, so much money they don't want to do with it. Pod homes are completely self-sufficient. They, they're solar energized. There, is, there are bathrooms, kitchens, uh, 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 beds, all within about nine feet. And the, the charm of a pod home 
is that you can take it anywhere. It can, it can endure every kind of weather and every kind of environment, which is what I think about when I think about the construction of the tabernacle because the Hebrews were asking, the Israelites were asking a question that you and I ask maybe in a variety of ways. Will this God go with me in the wilderness? Because we can go through all these motions and set up a place for him to abide and he'll have his thing and we'll, we know how to get there. There's a feng shui. We go through the hoops. We jump over the hurdles and get to him. But what happens when we strike camp and I move into a darker period of my life? What happens when I actually have to go into wilderness or go into battle? Will this God go with me? And the tabernacle was constructed to collapse and become the mobile home of God, that God would move with God's people into the places where God's people did life. Which reminds me of the best news I've ever heard. First Corinthians puts it this way. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? Do you not know that you are God's temple? Now, when I was a teenager, we used to memorize that verse. We used to know that verse, but it was typically taught to us um, in the context of your body is the temple of God, so, you know, don't do stuff. You know, uh, you don't, don't drink, don't do drugs, don't do things with each other, you know, right? I'm keeping this PG, just by the way. So your body's a temple, and that's all perfectly true. But the real power of that text, the real power of that verse is that you are now the dwelling place of the Most High. You, regardless of how ridiculous that may sound to you, in you abides the holy presence and action of God. He goes where you go. He goes with you before you and behind you. He goes to your right and left. He is with you. Do you not remember what we heard in the, in the book of Revelation, this text? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's uh, tabernacle is now among people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away do you know what it means that the old order of things has passed away the old order of the old way of thinking about accessing God there is no separation now between us and the one who made us because Christ has made it possible and I, I just share that with you today because you may have come here and then in the first five minutes of the sermon may have heard we're talking about tabernacle and construction and you may have just totally zoomed me out or zoned me out at that point. Just pull the shade. Ugh, we're going to talk about something that has nothing to do with where I'm camped out right now. And now suddenly you realize this is everything about where you're camped out because where you pitch a tent, God has pitched a tent. That means within you is the very holy presence of God who is abiding in you and working for your reconciliation even as we speak. So our prayer for you today, my prayer for all of us, is that we would hear that the time has come. The time has come for us to do something about this wide, wide invitation of love. 
Perhaps you've never considered the reality that the God of the universe would even want to abide with you or near you or in the neighborhood of you. But Jesus came to dispel the myth that you're unlovely. He came to take away all the unloveliness upon himself until all that remains is one beloved child. Let's pray. God, in this moment as we pray, we, we pray that you would, you would speak to someone at some level that we may actually, we actually understand that you're calling us to something deep. You're calling us to be aware that when we walk about in this world, we don't walk about alone that you are within us, and every time we gather here for worship, you, you're attempting to provoke us to leave this place and live in the world as if your kingdom actually really has come. So for somebody today, that will mean making a decision. For somebody today, it will mean no longer waiting to respond to the overtures of love that you have poured out upon us. We pray that that day would be today when somebody comes to the saving knowledge of the truth. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of life. Amen.